Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. I'm so glad that you're listening to our sermon podcast. I hope it's a blessing. If you live in the area, or even if you don't, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to help support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. Thanks. So, believe it or not, whether you like it or not, uh, Advent season is just a few weeks away, which means in less than a month, there will be a Christmas tree to my right. Um, And uh, I don't know about you guys, I have a hard time believing that it's that soon, but it is coming up, which means... As usual, we're going to do something Advent-themed in a few weeks. And um, at the end of November, I'm hoping that we will continue our tradition of having a Thanksgiving Sunday where we hear from some of you about ways that God has worked in your life. But that means that we've got three weeks in between. And I, I thought about it, I prayed about it, and I decided that what I want to do for those three weeks is a study in the book of Jonah. Now, the book of Jonah is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I think, I'm pretty sure it's my favorite Old Testament book. Uh, I checked, and the last time I preached on this was four and a half years ago. And so I think that permits me to return to it again. Four and a half years, that's a whole college undergraduate career, right? That's some time. What was that, Caleb? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, uh, even though I've done this uh, in what I thought was the more more recent history than that, uh, it is just too good of a book, and it fits too well for three weeks uh, for me to pass up the opportunity to do it again. It is um, convicting, it is ironic, it is subversive, and it's funny. Um, So, I'm excited to do it. So if you want to follow along in your own Bible, I encourage you to turn, turn there now. Uh, it's a little tiny book, just four chapters near the end of the Old Testament, the book of Jonah. And as you make your way there, uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to study the scriptures together this morning. And uh, we ask you to prepare our hearts right now. Help us to be open to receive whatever it is that you want to teach us. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate these words and would speak directly to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Okay, pause. Jonah, son of Amittai, who is this? Well, if you look up that name, see if it shows up anywhere else in the Bible, it does show up in one other place. Jonah, son of Amittai. 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 25. 
And there we are told that Jonah, son of Amittai, gave a prophecy to the wicked king Jeroboam II. This was the king of Israel. He was a bad guy. We're told that he he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And yet, Jonah the prophet brought him good news. He told him that Israel's boundaries would expand under his reign from Libo Hamath to the Sea of Arabah. Now, here's something interesting. This was pointed out to me by the Bible Project. Are you guys familiar with the Bible Project at all? It is a great resource. They're going to put me out of a job. They're so good. Um, But um, they point out that the prophet Amos also gave a prophecy to the wicked king Jeroboam II. It was similar to what Jonah said. Amos told Jeroboam that his kingdom would be afflicted from Lebohamath to the Sea of Arabah. So, Jonah said, Jeroboam, I've got good news for you. Your kingdom's going to expand from Lebohamath to the Sea of Arabah. But Amos said, Jeroboam, I've got bad news for you. Your kingdom's going to be afflicted from Lebohamath to the Sea of Arabah. So, If Jonah had a reputation at all before this book was written, he would have been thought of as that prophet who told wicked King Jeroboam good news, but not bad news. Okay? So, keep that in mind as we continue to read the book. That's important. Jonah may have been the kind of prophet who shared partial truths who told Israel what they wanted to hear, not what they didn't want to hear. All right. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah is being told to carry a message not to the king of his country, but to an entirely different country, country of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and an enemy of Israel. The Assyrian Empire was an enemy of Israel. And the historical record tells us that the Assyrian Empire was a very violent and brutal empire. Um, I won't go into all the details, but let's just say, if you read the accounts, uh, they include a lot of words like burning, flaying, cutting off, gouging out. Okay? So your mind can fill in the details there. And so Jonah, this less than stellar prophet, is told, go to the Ninevites and let them know that I, the Lord, have a problem with their wickedness. And believe it or not, Jonah doesn't want to do that. So uh, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, here's a map that will help to put uh, that in perspective. If we assume that Jonah lived somewhere near Joppa, the the port town that he sailed out of, Nineveh would have been 550 miles uh, northeast of Joppa. It's a long trip, especially in those days. Tarshish, where he decided to go, was 2,500 miles 
to the west in the opposite direction. So Jonah decided to go 3,000 miles opposite from where God called him to go. That would be like if God called you to go to the northernmost point in Maine and you said, I'm going to Boise. And when you think about it, I mean, go, in those days, going to Tarshish, that's like going to the edge of the world, right? Because you can't go too much farther west than that. After that, there's just the abyss of the Atlantic. So Jonah was told to go one direction. He went the opposite direction to the edge of the world. So Jonah sails for Tarshish but he doesn't make it. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So let's just stop for a moment here to appreciate the irony of this. Right? Jonah says, I worship the Lord, the one who made the sea and the dry land. Like, isn't it ironic that he recognizes his Lord as having made the sea, but he thinks that he can escape him by sailing somewhere, right? It's almost like Jonah wants to brag that he worships the biggest God of all, but he doesn't want to do what his God wants him to do, right? He wants to feel the pride of worshiping the best God, but not with actually doing his will. So here's how the sailors react. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? So let's pause here. What would be a good way for Jonah to answer that question? I think the best answer would be, Turn this ship around, take me back to Joppa, so that I can go where the Lord wants me to go, right? That would be a reasonable response. But that's not Jonah's answer. Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So, oh my goodness. Right? This is one reluctant prophet. This guy would rather die then go where God wants him to go, right? He's, he's got the two options, head back towards Nineveh or drown. Mm, 
I think I choose drown. Okay? He really doesn't want to go. And then this is what happens next. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. <laughs> so these pagan sailors have a better sense of what Jonah should do than Jonah does, or they're more interested in getting Jonah to do what he's supposed to do than Jonah himself is, right? They try to get him back towards Nineveh. And then this is what happens next. They could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And that is where we're going to end the reading for this week. I think that's a good place to stop. With Jonah, the reluctant prophet, sinking down into the dark depths, and with the pagan sailors on the ship worshiping his god. Now, I recognize that some of you guys might have some questions right now. If you're anything like me, these are some questions you might have. If there's a bad storm, should I assume it's because God is ticked off at somebody? Or if I want to figure out who God is mad at, should I roll some dice or cast some lots? Those are legitimate questions to ask after reading something like that, right? Well, my answer to both those questions is no. If there's bad weather, don't try to blame it on any particular individual, even if you know they did something wrong. And if you don't know God's will and you want to figure it out, look to Jesus and to Scripture. Don't cast lots or throw dice. Not the way to figure that out. This story is deeply true. But if we focus on it too literally, we miss the forest for the trees. What is this story really about? It's not about where bad weather comes from. And it's not about the effectiveness of casting lots. It is about our tendency to run from God's voice and the harm that that causes. It is about our tendency to run from God's voice and the harm that that causes, both to ourselves and to those around us. Sometimes we know what we're supposed to do. We know it in our bones, but we don't want to do it. And the Holy Spirit keeps reminding us. God keeps opening doors for us to go through, but we resist and we go in the other direction. What is your Nineveh? Maybe it's a conversation that you know you need to initiate, but you don't want to do it. Maybe there's an apology that you know you need to make, but you don't want to do it. Maybe there is a project that you need to start or a decision that you need to make that you keep putting off, 
Maybe there's a habit that you need to break. Maybe there's a recovery program that you need to attend or a counselor that you need to talk to. And maybe, like Jonah, there is literally a missionary journey that you're supposed to go on. Maybe there is an enemy that you need to visit. And maybe your Nineveh is even conversion itself, right? Choosing to give your life to Christ. And you keep running in the other direction. And you've got this nagging feeling in your bones that you're supposed to go to whatever your Nineveh is. But you keep saying no to the Spirit's lure. And you might have all kinds of excuses why you're saying no, and you might even be able to convince yourself sometimes that these are valid excuses. But chances are the real reasons behind whatever excuses you're giving boil down to these things. Fear, pride, anger, shame. Fear, pride, anger, shame. These are like the four horsemen of Holy Spirit resistance. They thunder through our hearts, war horses from the devil. Fear, pride, anger, shame. And so often they block us from following the Holy Spirit's lure. Now, we don't usually go 3,000 miles in the wrong direction to Tarshish or to Boise. But in our hearts, we go there. As the Spirit calls us, we head the other direction, right? Toward fear city, anger city, shame city, pride city. And as we resist that call of God, the storms come. Relationships break apart. Grudges deepen. Families become dysfunctional. Addictions worsen. In some cases, violence even erupts. On a global scale, wars break out. And as we find ourselves in the storm, the Spirit still calls to us, Turn around! Go the other direction! Head toward Nineveh. Do you really think that Nineveh is going to be worse than what you're going through right now? And sadly, even when we are faced with that choice, death or Nineveh, whatever our Nineveh is, right? We often say, like Jonah, I choose death. I just can't turn from this fear, this pride, this anger, this shame. I can't do it. I won't do it. But even when we choose to do that, when we choose the storm and we choose death, God still pursues I imagine that most of you guys are familiar enough with this story to know that it doesn't end with Jonah sinking into the depths, right? Jonah's going to be around for all four chapters. So even then, God isn't done pursuing Jonah. God keeps pursuing us. God keeps pursuing us. Now, that is a truth that I cannot prove but we sense it. We know it, even though we're not sure how we know it. Do you know what I mean? 
There's a famous poem by a guy named Francis Thompson from 1890 called The Hound of Heaven. And it describes the sense that we have that we are being pursued by God, by the divine. And this poem has resonated enough with people that it is still well-known and famous 130 years later. And if you look up the poem on Wikipedia, it says, its subject is the pursuit of the human soul by God's love. So listen to this first stanza. I fled him. Down the nights and down the days I fled him. Down the arches of the years I fled him. Down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the mist of tears I hid from him and under running laughter. Up vistaed hopes I sped and shot precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat, more instant than the feet, all things betray thee, who betrayest me. So just like Jonah, Thompson describes himself fleeing from God. Fleeing for days, fleeing for years. I love that line. Um, Down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. Right? He's, he's saying that his mind was like a maze that he'd get lost in to hide from God. The mind can always find reasons to doubt that God is there. There's always a way, a way for the mind to do that. And yet, as we hide in the maze of our minds, we can still sense God pursuing. Thompson says he can sense God's strong feet following. They are unhurried, unperturbed, right? So they're not angry. They're not rushing. They're not anxious. They are deliberate. And as the feet follow, he hears a voice. All things betray thee who betrayest me. What's that mean? All things betray thee who betrayest me. It means if you run from me forever, nothing else will give you what you're really looking for. Everything else will betray you. Now, I appreciate that Thompson doesn't have the voice of God say, I betray thee who betrayest me. Right? No, he has the voice of God say, all things betray thee who betrayest me. All things. Because when we betray God, it's the world that lets us down. God keeps pursuing. The second stanza ends with a similar reminder of the steady, constant pursuit of God. This time the voice calls out, Not shelters thee who wilt not shelter me. Not shelters thee who wilt not shelter me. In other words, unless you let me make my home in you, you will never find a home yourself. You will be a restless wanderer without peace and without hope in the world until you stop fleeing from me. 
And that was certainly true for Jonah, right? As he ran from God's steady footsteps, there was no place to rest. I mean, he tried to rest below deck in the ship, but that didn't last too long. You can only do that for a little while. The only place where we can truly find rest is when we stop running from God. When we stop heading toward our Tarshish and turn toward our Nineveh. And let me remind us all of the good news this morning, which is that if you are still breathing, God is still pursuing. The hound of heaven is Jesus. And he pursued us all the way from heaven to earth, from glory to a cross, from the realm of heaven to the realm of the dead. And he continues to pursue us every moment of every day through the Holy Spirit, whom he has sent into the world. And as he pursues us, he keeps calling us, turn from your Tarshish and turn towards your Nineveh. And if you are hearing this this morning, it is not too late to do that. Every breath we breathe, every beat of our hearts is another opportunity to stop running from the hound of heaven. No matter how long we have been running in the other direction. The opportunity is still there. Now in a moment, the band is going to come up to lead us in a reflection time. Um, and... As they play the song, I want to encourage you to just reflect on these three simple questions. What is my Nineveh? What is my Tarshish? The thing that I turn to instead of going where God wants me to go. And how can I head toward my Nineveh? So, Lord, I pray that your spirit will work in our hearts right now as we reflect. Um, that you would give us insight into ourselves um, and into uh, what you are drawing us toward and what, are you, what you are asking us to turn from. We invite you to work in us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.